Um, we last week we started a brand new series called Discovering God's Will. And this series is not really so much about discovering God's unique will for our lives, but more his universal will for all people's lives. Because in order to know if God has something specific for us in a specific specific situation, we first need to know what's his grand big 30,000 foot, you know, kind of overarching will for all people. And there are four instances in the Bible where God reveals his will to us, where we don't have to guess, we don't have to do complicated Bible study or learn Hebrew. He just comes out and says, this is my will. And I wouldn't say that these four things are necessarily the most important. One of them that we talked about last week is, um, these are definitely not, you know, all of God's will for our lives. It's just, we're looking at the four times where he is most clear on them. And every single week, we're taking a look at a different verse where God says, this is my will. So if you missed last week, you can go back and watch that online or check out the podcast. But that is, that is, that's what we're talking about during this series. And when you hear the topic for today, if you're already here at the beginning, you know, but our, our initial reaction, I think because of the culture we live in and because of the world that we live in, our initial reaction might be to say, ah, that's just backwards thinking, you know? That's not applicable anymore. That's so old fashioned. But I just want to ask if all of us could just stay open, even if it's only for 20 or so minutes, just stay open and kind of consider the source with this. Now, there's a letter in the New Testament called First Thessalonians. It was written by the Apostle Paul, written to a group of believers that he had met, you know, maybe a month or two earlier, preached the gospel to them. They became Christians. Paul had to leave. Some persecution came in. Paul sent one of his buddies to go check on him. He comes back, says, oh, don't worry, they're all still doing good. And so this is Paul's letter back to them. And, and much of 1 Thessalonians, kind of the first three quarters of it, is just Paul kind of saying, man, I'm so glad that you're still strong in your faith. I'm so glad that you haven't turned from Jesus. This is awesome. It makes my heart filled with joy that we're still in a relationship with God together. But towards the, towards the end of the letter, he starts to write some specific application for these Thessalonian believers. And in chapter four, he says this, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we've taught you. You live this way already, okay? You're doing well and all that, but we encourage you to do it even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Says, listen, new, new believers, Christians, people who've been made right in God's sight through Jesus, you know what the response to experiencing the gift of salvation is? It's to live in a way that pleases God. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Now, there's a lot of ways that this can play out in our lives, but it's the very next verse where God reveals one of his universal wills for people to live in a way that pleases God. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. If you want to know what God's will is, it is that we would avoid any type of sexual sin. Now, as a culture, we've worked really hard over the last, you know, 60 to 70 years to really blur the lines of what sex means and where the boundaries of sin and not sin are and all that sort of stuff. But I will tell you, when you look at everything in the Bible from God's perspective about sex, his lines are not blurred at all. They're very clear and very defined. God is the one who designed sex. 
and he gave it to us to be enjoyed and experienced within a lifelong relational agreement between a man and a wife known as marriage. That's God's design for sex. Sex was created not only just for procreation, but even more so for intimacy. Many times when you read in the Bible, there's this phrase that describes married people. When a husband and wife come together, that the two are united into one. United into one emotionally, united into one from God's perspective, I think even at some level spiritually, but also two people united as one physically through the act of sex. From God's perspective, sex is kind of like the final piece of this union between a man and his wife. And the good thing is, for those of us that are married, God wants us to have sex, okay? In fact, I think he wants us to have lots of sex. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we read this from the Apostle Paul. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Some of you, that's going to be the first verse you've ever underlined in your Bible. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relation, a.k.a. have lots of sex. I bet you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Huh? That's why you should read your Bible more often, you know? If you're married and you're not getting enough bow chicka wow wow at home, just text your spouse 1 Corinthians 7. It's the new type of sexting, okay? So, <clears throat> do not deprive each other of sexual relation unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Amen. Afterward, don't pray too long, okay? Afterward, you should come together again, you know what that means, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God is the one who created sex and gave it to us as a good gift to be enjoyed. And I don't know how maybe you grew up, maybe there was something in your family, or if you were like me growing up in a youth group in the late 90s and early 2000s, you were taught sex is bad, you know? Oh, yuck, gross, stay away, it's the worst thing you could ever do. That's not an accurate view of sex. Sex is an incredible gift that God has given us when used properly. But just like almost anything else, it can be misused as well. If in God's eyes, sex is designed only for a husband and wife within that lifelong relational agreement called marriage, that means anything outside of that is sexual sin. Sexual sin is any sort of sex or sexual activity between two people who are not married, regardless of if you're living together or in a committed relationship. Sexual sin is any type of sex or sexual activity between two people of the same gender, even if in the eyes of the government you are legally married. That's outside of God's design. Sexual sin would be any sort of pornography, any sort of visual medium or even literary medium, stories we read, romance novels, YouTube videos we watch, TikTok, anything that we engage in that causes lust to grow inside of us is sexual sin from God's perspective. It is way bigger than we think it is. 
God's definition of right sex is very narrow, which means most of what we experience in life is outside of his will. It is sin. And his heart is that we would avoid it. I know, I know in culture, and, and maybe even for some of us here today or some of us listening online, when we hear this again, we just think that's so old-fashioned, you know? That's not applicable anywhere. That's so irrelevant. This is, you know, this, this is just th- this, this instruction, God's will is to stay away from all sexual sin. Man, that's just a remnant from a more repressed time period where people, you know, all this, we've got all these reasons. And I think, you know what, from a cultural perspective, I get that. It just makes sense to have sex before you get married, right? There's other th- everything else we try before we buy. Why wouldn't we do that here? And we have worked really hard to convince ourselves as a culture that sex is only physical. But I want to challenge that idea today. And I don't want to challenge it with what I say. I want us to challenge ourselves and our own ideas about sex. Is sex really just physical? I have some questions for us to just simply ponder for a moment. If sex is only physical, why do we typically wait until the second or third or fourth date before we have sex? I know not everybody does that. It's becoming more common to just, you know, get it done with right away. But why do we wait until it gets serious? If it's only physical, isn't it just kind of like a high five? Why wait? If sex is only physical, why does it take up so much mental space in our heads? Why do we think about sex so often? Why do we replay sexual experiences in our minds so often? Why do we either get hyped up for it or have to hype ourselves up for it if it's just a physical act? Why is there so much mental real estate dedicated to it? If sex is only physical, why is cheating so frowned upon, even among more progressive couples. If, if it's just a physical act, then isn't it just like giving somebody a hug? I mean, why? I don't mind if, if you know, my wife gives somebody else a hug. Why, why is cheating such a big deal if the act of sex is only a physical thing? If sex is only physical, why is sexual abuse one of the most painful and long-lasting things that some of us have ever experienced? If you've been the victim of sexual abuse, man, our our heart goes out to you. You know full well this is not like other types of abuse. If sex is only physical, why do so many of us carry around secrets and deep regrets over sexual activity? I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we regret and whatever, but how come this one is so different? How, How come we don't you know, tell, tell, tell other people about pornography that we're watching? How come we don't want to share with, with our partner what happened that year in spring break? How come we, we try to hide affairs? If it's only physical, why do we treat it as if it's not only physical? I know, I know we've tried to convince ourselves as a culture, it's, it's just this, but come on, deep down inside, we all know that's not true. Sex is way more than just physical. The truth is sex affects so many different parts of our lives. Research and scientific studies have shown time and time again, there is a tremendous effect that the act of sex has on all sorts of areas of our lives. And, and, you know, we, we talk about the big ones often, you know, well, there's risk of pregnancy and there's, you know, risk of getting sexually transmitted diseases. 
We all know that one, but it's, it's way more than even that. Scientists have found that there are chemicals released in our brains, different ones for men and different ones for women, that when we have sex, they create an emotional bond with the person we are having sex with. And when we create that bond and then break it by having sex with somebody else and then break it by having sex, when we do that over and over again, we diminish our own capacity for intimacy in the future. We hardwire, we rewire our brains in ways that they're not supposed to work. We get confused and we prevent ourselves from experiencing real intimacy in the future. Studies have shown that teenage girls who are sexually active are almost four times as likely to suffer with depression than teenage girls who don't. If you care about your mental health, sex is way more than just physical. There's a study done by Wheatley University of almost 4,000 people, different couples together, and they tried to control for things like faith and gender and length of relationship, try and get as, as clear of a scientific result as possible. And what they found is that couples who had only slept with their spouse after marriage had the highest levels of sexual satisfaction, relational satisfaction, relational stability, and emotional closeness. Highest levels, and not just a little bit higher, up to 50% higher levels than people who had engaged in sex with multiple partners. What one of the researchers of this study, Jared Carroll, says this, if a person's goal is a successful lifelong marriage, which maybe for some of us it's not, okay? But if that is your goal, sexual inexperience seems to be the strongest path towards that. At the very least, it's not harming anyone. There was a study done in 2016 by Penn State University found that people who had had premarital sex with one or more people were over 150% more likely to dissolve their marriages than people who were virgins when they got married. According to the research, sexual exclusivity, not experience, is what creates the best romance and intimacy and strongest and healthiest marriages. It's not a guarantee, but the numbers don't lie. It is exclusivity not experience that helps us in relationships. And it's even beyond, you know, just premarital sorts of things. One study found that out of couples who've been divorced, 60% of them could tie back, could link back to the fact that pornography was a contributing factor to the divorce. I mean, it, it has become abundantly clear. Researchers have found it's not even a Christian thing that when we ignore God's will to stay away from sexual sin, we harm ourselves. It's just not good for us. But yet, we can hear these numbers and we can read what the Bible says and some of us still think, well, God's just a killjoy. God just doesn't want me to have fun, you know? God doesn't understand my urges. God doesn't understand my desires. God doesn't understand how lonely I am. God doesn't understand that, you know, me and, me and my girlfriend love each other. God, God doesn't get it. He's old. He's out of date. He doesn't, he doesn't know the world. He doesn't know that everybody else is doing it. He's so mean. He's so restrictive. And that is, that is one way that we could look at his will and his instruction for our lives. 
But there's another way we could look at it as well. We could look at it from the perspective of a loving heavenly father who wants the best for us. Those of us that are parents and we have kids, when we tell our kids not to play with fire, is that because we're so restrictive and mean? Or is it because we know what could happen? When we tell our kids not to run with scissors, is that because we just want to steal all the fun? Or because we know there's pain coming down the line if we ignore that? It's the exact same thing with God. God is the one who designed sex, and God knows sex is more than just physical, and so out of his love for us, he shares his will to stay away from sexual sin. There's another letter in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians, again, written by the Apostle Paul, where where God just kind of doubles down on this idea of sexual sin. He says this, you say I'm allowed to do anything, okay? And that's true. We've got a free will. We can make whatever choice we want in whatever area of life we want. But not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. There's this idea in our world today that that having more sex and more sexual experiences is real freedom. God says that's slavery. That when we do that, we are the ones kept in chains. We are the one in bondage emotionally, relationally, physically. Go down the list, all those things that we just talked about. His heart is that we wouldn't be kept that way. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though some days God's going to do it with both of them. But you can't say, there's no rational way to come to a place where you say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. That's not the case. Our bodies were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. God cares about every single aspect of our lives, including our bodies and our sexuality. He cares about our hurt, He cares about our pain. He cares about the wreckage that sex outside of his design creates in our lives. If God didn't care, he'd just stay silent on the issue. He'd say, here, go have sex and do whatever you want. Don't talk to me. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to help you. I'm busy playing video games. That's not what God does. He cares and he loves us. And out of his love and out of his care, he warns us. He shares his will with us. In fact, the very next verse says this, to run from sexual sin. It's the only time in the, in the entire Bible where this is emphasized so much. Not like meander away from it, not tiptoe against the line, run as fast as you can away from the sin. Why? Because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And again, he is talking about way more than just physical consequences. If sex is just a physical thing, we all know sins that are more harmful to our physical selves, right? But when you look at our whole selves, our body, soul, and spirit, this one's different. Sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. Sexual sin, if we engage in sex outside of marriage it, and, and our faith is in Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're no longer right with God or that we can't have a relationship with him. It's just that this is a sin that is extraordinarily painful to ourselves. Even take out all the other repercussions in other people. This is a sin that hurts us at a deep, 
level. It is a sin that is so painful that many of us walk around with the weight of this sin the rest of our lives. This is a sin that according to God, the weight of it is in a class of its own. And for some of us, if we were honest with ourselves and we could share our story, we'd say the same thing. The way we have sinned sexually in the past has caused a tremendous burden on our lives. If you are, if you're not a Christian, the best thing, I mean, the best I can do is simply urge you to rethink sex. If there is, if there is some sort of sexual activity that we are engaged in right now, that even has the potential of being a lifelong regret in the future, why risk it? Regret is a horrible thing to live with. Why risk it? If, if, if in the future, if we want to have a strong and healthy marriage, why risk that with sexual activity right now outside of marriage? If you want to have more intimacy with the person that you're with, why ruin that or destroy that intimacy with any sort of sexual activity, pornography, romance, novels? You, you just go down the line. Why risk it? Maybe you're here today or you're listening and you're not sure about God and you don't believe that the Bible is true or anything like that. But I just want to ask this. What if even at face value, this is true? Whether the Bible's true or not, whether you have faith, what if this is true? To me, it just seems like the wise thing to do to listen to God's instruction. But for those of us that are Christians— those of us that have put our trust in Jesus to be right with God and reconnected to him. This sexual thing is way more than just being wise and preventing future harm. Because really at the core, what we do with sex is a faith issue. Right after we are told to run from sexual sin, Christians, we are challenged at an even deeper level. Paul goes on to write, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Listen, you don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. The way we use or don't use our bodies, sexually speaking, is a direct reflection of how we honor or dishonor God. It's a faith issue at the core. And this is not, this is not intended to be something that, oh, we have to do, you know, just self-sacrifice and whip me again. That's not it at all. Instead, this is meant to be something that we want to do. Because those of us that are Christians, we understand when Paul says, God bought you with a high price, we know very well what that means. We know that we were sinners separated from God through our own rebellion, whatever the sin was, okay? Gluttony, gossip, pride, sex, go down the list. There was no way we could be right with God on our own. We were destined, we deserved eternal separation from God. But because God loved us so much, because he desired a relationship with us so much, he took it upon himself to make a way to send a savior 
Through faith in Jesus, we have access to God when we could never deserve it, pay it back, earn it. And not only do we have access to God, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, a helper, a counsel, the Holy Spirit given to help us live out and experience a relationship with God. And Paul's point in 1 Corinthians is that we should say, man, God, in light of what you have done for me, I want to live for you. Okay, I, I know culture is pressuring me to have sex, but I, God, I don't want to go with that. I want to do what you say. God, I know my, my urges tell me that I should do this, but I don't want to follow my urges. God, I want to follow you. My boyfriend or girlfriend is pressuring me into, into having sex. I just think it's something I have to do. God, I want, I want to honor you. I, I think in our, in our culture today, in our world, Doing what God says, avoiding sexual sin, is an incredible way of demonstrating our love and appreciation for what God has done for us. So what do we do with this? What, what do we do with this? Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today, you're listening, and you've been thinking about this for a while, just didn't know what steps to take. Maybe you're, you, you, for the first time, you're feeling this little internal ping with like, oh man, that's... That's true. In Christianese, we would call that conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Maybe you're even thinking, okay, I'm not sure about this, but tell me more. I'm going to make up my own decision later. What do we do if we want to more align ourselves with God's will? I'll tell you this really quick. This is just kind of a, a little extra tidbit. If you are in a committed relationship with someone and you know you want to get married someday, just get it over with, okay? Just, I'm available for weddings anytime in my office. You just need a license and two witnesses, okay? We can do it on Tuesday if you want. So I'm very serious, okay? Plan the ceremony for next year. Have your honeymoon or reception. But man, let's do, let's just get married, okay? And if you're not going to get married, then break up and move on. So anyway, just had to throw that in. What do we do if we want to stay away from sexual sin, to run from sexual sin? I think there's, there's three things, at least to me, three things that every single one of us can do. And the first one is to just set up boundaries. Just to set up some boundaries before we get to the point of sinning. Let's put up a guardrail before that. This is something that, that the recovery community gets so well. If someone is an alcoholic, it's not the act of walking into a bar that's the issue. It's what walking into a bar is going to lead to. And so rather than have to fight that battle already there, they just say, I'm not going to go into a bar anymore. I'm going to prevent myself from falling into that temptation. Same sort of thing that, that maybe some of us do financially. If we already decide I'm going to give 10%, I'm going to save 10%, I'm only going to live on 80% of what I make. Well, then when we see that new boat or that impulse buy, we don't even have to worry about it. Nope. I know there's not money set aside for that. You and I can do the same things when it comes to sexual sin. We can set up boundaries. If you struggle with, with pornography, well, let's ask ourselves, when does it happen? Why does it happen? Okay, maybe it's late at night or maybe it's when you're on your own. There are all sorts of technological options out there that we can use to prevent us from going to sites that aren't good for us, that's going to harm us. If you, it, it, maybe if, if you're having an affair at work, you know what? Let's see if we can get our hours changed, work a different shift, work in a different location. 
I would even suggest maybe go so far as getting a different job. I know that sounds like a big deal, but so is sexual sin. If, if, um, if, if, if you are living with somebody right now, and even if you're in a committed relationship, how can we put up a boundary? I don't know. Move out. Let's not put ourselves in compromising situations. I know boundaries are hard. I know they're hard work to set up and then to keep. But God says there's the sexual sin is in a class of its own. Do we want to follow him or not? Every single one of us can set up boundaries. I think another thing that we can do is to get some accountability in our lives. To, 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 to have other people have some honest and hard conversations with us. Maybe for you, maybe that's talking to the person that you're living with and just being honest. You know what? I, I feel like this is something we shouldn't do anymore. Can we talk about it? Maybe it's setting up a, a regular meeting with somebody of the same gender that you can, you can just bear it all. You can just get everything off your chest where they can help you. God says that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for each other because then we can be healed. Again, this is something that the recovery community knows so well. It's, it's our own individual decisions. We have free will, but man, they know the value of a sponsor and weekly meetings to help make it through those times of temptation. Let's get some accountability. It's, I guarantee if you have a conversation with somebody about sex, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's also going to help. The final step I think every one of us can take, it's the one we talk about all the time, and it is the answer to every problem, is to spend time with God. I think what happens so often, really with any sin, but especially with sex, is we ask ourselves, well, how close to the line can I get? I, I know over the line is sin. I don't want to sin, but I mean, can I tiptoe up right next to it? I, I know an affair is bad. Okay, I don't want to have an affair, but what if it's just some romantic conversations? What if it's just second or third base? Okay, I know pornography is bad, but what if it's just some questionable TikTok videos? Is that okay? Oh, you know what? I, I know we should be married, but we're, we, we love each other. Is that okay? Listen, I think that's the wrong question we, to ask ourselves. Rather than asking how close to the line can I get, what if we started asking ourselves, how close to God can I get? How close to my heavenly father can I get? This, this value that I, I'm looking for in sex, how can I find my value in my relationship with God? This need that I think I have and, and that sex will fulfill, how can that need be satisfied by just enjoying God's presence? the acceptance that I think I'm going to get from my boyfriend or girlfriend or my friend group, whatever. How do I find my acceptance in who God says I am and what he sees in me? This habit that I just can't break. Well, how do I reorient my time to be with God more than with that habit? Here's, here's what I guarantee. The more time we spend with God, the more we will be transformed on the inside. What happens so often with, with sexual sin especially is we just think, well, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Listen, if I told us not to think about pink elephants and all you do is just don't think about pink elephants, don't think about pink elephants, don't think, 
There's no way we're ever going to not think about pink elephants. The only way to not think about that is to set our minds on something else. The ultimate answer to dealing with any sin, including sexual sin, is to set our hearts and minds on someone else, on God and building a relationship with him. Jesus said, remain in me and I will produce fruit in you. I will produce life change in you. Not overnight, but over time as we get to know him better. I want to close this morning with just reading a couple verses. These are some of my favorite verses. In fact, they were the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. It's found in Romans chapter 12, and and Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, your whole lives to God because of all he's done for you. That is the key word right there, in response to his goodness to us. God, I want to give my life to you. Let them, our lives, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to honor him. This is truly the way to live in a way that pleases God. He goes on, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world in any area, but including sex. Don't do what culture does, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then when we do that, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The more we build a relationship with God, the more he transforms us. And when we do that, we discover that God's will for our lives is not a burden. God's will when it comes to our sexuality is not cumbersome. His design for sex is not old-fashioned and out of date. In, in reality, his will is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking into our lives on this subject. I mean, honestly, you didn't have to. You could just let us do what we want and suffer the consequences. But I believe what the Bible says, that you care about us and you love us. And so, God, We are grateful that even though this is an uncomfortable issue, you have shared with us your will. Thank you for giving us good and perfect instructions for our lives. And we are all at a different spot in life when it comes to sexuality. I just want to ask you, Father, that you would draw each one of us closer to you. Whatever that looks like, whatever steps we need to take, God, I just want to give you permission to reveal that in my life, to reveal that for all of us. And more than anything, may we desire you, may we continue to desire you more and more and more. You are good. You are love. You are where real life is found. Father, help us to live that out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.